Welcome to the official podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse. We'd like to thank you for listening today. We pray this message blesses you and encourages you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. In advance of your intervention in our lives, we worship you right now before the prayer gets answered, before the battle is won, before we hear the victorious shout. We believe it's on its way. We believe you're on your way. We believe that you're going to do it. Hallelujah. 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 We're here because the Lord has saved us. He has opened new doors for our lives. He has redeemed our very souls. It's because of Jesus we're here today. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I confess to you that I had a whole different message. And God took those notes and the wind of God just blew them back to Michigan. I believe in the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and I believe in following the Holy Ghost. And here in Norwalk, California, we're going to follow the Holy Ghost this morning. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, the 23rd Psalm, a familiar text, I encourage you to keep your Bibles handy this morning. We'll be taking a deep dive here in this passage. And while you're turning here, let me say some thank yous. Thank you to all of you, first of all for being here in the house of the Lord today. Thank you all for being a part of this revival. I don't bring revival with me in a bag. I don't take it with me when I leave. God sends revival, and you're a part of that work. So thank you for being soldiers in the army of heaven. Thank you for what you're doing for the kingdom of God here. Praise God. Also, I would like to honor the ministry and the friendship of your shepherd, your pastor, Pastor Bradley, brother, you're a blessing to this church. You're a blessing to Apostolic Lighthouse. I'm blessed to know you and your family and to be your friends. Praise God. You have a good pastor. And I'm not just saying that because you got me barbecue the other day either. But that helped. Hallelujah. If you have the Bible in front of you, Psalm 23. And I'll read verse number three. By the way, also, great music team this morning. Sister Bradley, you are a wonderful musician. Praise God. I mean that. Hallelujah. (laughs) Psalm 23 and 3. Famous verse. He restoreth my soul. Please permit me to reread those words. He. God restoreth my soul. Restore, restoreth. Did you know that the 23rd Psalm broaches the subject of restoration? It sure does. This morning in Norwalk, restoration shall be my topic. I'll preach to you on this title, The Process of Restoration. God desires to restore some souls under my voice here this morning. God wants to restore you and I. And here this morning, the subject is the process 
a restoration. Lord, speak to us. Let us have ears to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And God, once again, let it not be Joel Reveille in the flesh who preaches, but let it be you, the Lord Jesus, who speaks these words. God, you take my mouth and my voice and just help me and shape this message into what you desire it and want it to be, Lord God. And we give you, Jesus, all the glory, the credit, the honor, and the praise this morning. All of us say it in Jesus' name. Amen. Clap your hands once again to God as you are seated in the house of the Lord. God is a restorer of life. Restoration is part of his very identity. He is called the Redeemer. Redemption is who he is. He is our restorer. Restoration is what he does. He is Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He is Jehovah Rapha, my healer. Jehovah Mekadeshkim, my savior. That is who our God is. Restoration, salvation, healing, provision, redemption. That is the God we serve and believe in this morning. To undergo restoration, to do these steps, to come back to where God desires for us to be. There is, shall we say, a pathway. There's a path of restoration. That is the first piece of information I desire to preach to you. Repeat after me. Restoration is a process. For anybody who has ever undergone a 12-step program, you know that the very first step, perhaps, in a 12-step program is they have you get up in front of a crowd and say, my name is so-and-so for Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm an alcoholic. They'll have you admit to what you have undergone and endured in your life. And there is a process there. They're starting you at the place where you are and bringing you to where you should be. That's restoration in a nutshell. It's taking you where you are and bringing you where God desires for you to be in your life. Four conditions are here in restoration. There are four conditions of restoration. First condition is in verse 1. If you have the word in front of you, Psalm 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd. That is the first condition of restoration. I must accept that God is my shepherd. He is in control. And if God is my shepherd, that means that the world does not lead me. If God is my shepherd, then nothing else is. Not pop culture, not common wisdom, not websites on the World Wide Web that I seek out for advice, not Reverend Google, bless God, or popular counselors online. Only one person is my shepherd, and that person is God. He he is in control. He is the captain of this ship. He directs the ship's helm on the course of my life. God is in control. Say, God is in control. I believe that. In the gospel, I believe it is in the gospel of Luke chapter 10. As I turn there, Jesus actually describes what a good shepherd is. He describes as follows. It's John 10, isn't it? It's John chapter 10. I told you the wrong gospel. Hallelujah. But they're all good. Bless God. John chapter 10. Jesus describes the good shepherd. In verse number 11 of John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life 
for the sheep. I have preached in many houses of God through the years, and this repeated character, character trait I observed. Good shepherds will give their lives to God. They'll give their time. They'll give their efforts. They'll give even their finances and money. They'll give what they have for the work of the kingdom. I have been in a church house with a pastor who was drilling holes in the wall to put in new locks at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. in the morning. I've seen shepherds give hours of their lives and hours of their times, not for flesh, but for the Lord Jesus. A good shepherd, a good leader gives a part of himself. And if Jesus is our example, then so in like manner as our great shepherd and our shepherds here on earth, we must give our lives to him. We must give a portion of ourselves to God. That is the definition in the Gospel of John of goodness in a shepherd. Verse 12 tells the opposite though. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not. Hireling means they're there for one reason. This, say money. And Jesus told us in the Gospels, you cannot serve God and mammon. I will submit to the one and release the other. I will either be a servant of money or a servant of the Lord Jesus. But one of them will stay, and one of them will go. What happens if I submit myself to mammon and to money? It tells us here, he that is a hireling whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep, and he flees. When he sees a problem on the way, the, he, that man gets a case of Levitus and takes off out the door. So I ask you to take a personal inventory of your life this morning. Think about all of your counselors that you spend time with. Are they gone in the moments when you need them the most? When you try and reach out to them, do you get their voicemail? You slide in their DM on Facebook or social media and you see it says message read. You know you do that. I've done that too. And you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a response. And you know they got the message and you're wondering to yourself uh, what are they doing? Did they fall into some deep dark hole somewhere? Why aren't they responding to me? Consider that perhaps maybe they might not be someone appointed by God in your life. They might just be a hireling and if they are you have permission of heaven to let them go. You can make heaven without their counsel. You can make heaven without that stress and what Whatever the cost, I want to make heaven someday. Yeah. Hallelujah. The hireling flees because he's a hireling, but the good shepherd cares for the sheep and gives his life. First step, first condition of restoration, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23 and verse number one. Second condition, I shall not want. And that to me is the hardest condition of restoration. I think most of us can accept the concept that God must be our shepherd and God must be in control. But the hard part is accepting the idea that I shall not want. Because when you're vulnerable, when you're emotional, when you're a depressed, stressed mess, 
and you come to the altar to pray and you've arrived at the house of God and you don't know what to do or where to turn and that pastor or that preacher comes up to you and he pats you on the back. He says, it's all going to be all right. Admit it. You want to punch him, don't you? Because you don't feel all right. You don't feel okay. You think on that particular moment that you're about to veer way off out into the wide, wide world. And so when God tells you in spite of your mess, you'll be all right, it seems contradictory. It is contrary to your human observation of what you see in your environment around you. But all the same, I must accept that God is in control and therefore I shall not want even in my crazy times. He is still my provider. Even when the checkbook don't add up, God will make a way for me. There'll be bread on my table and shoes on my feet and clothes on my back and a bed to sleep in and a roof over my head. God will provide for you. Hallelujah. I believe that God sent me here this morning to preach this sermon that God is trying to bring you out of your deep dark mess and set your feet upon the rock that is called Jesus and restore your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 2, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Okay, anybody have kids in this room or had kids years ago? When you tell them it's time for a nap and they're about two years old, (laughs) what happens? (laughs) I don't want to have a nap, Daddy. I don't want to have a nap, Mommy. No nap. They want to stay up. But God does something here as a condition of restoration that we all understand well. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, this statement is also a double meaning here. Yes, he makes you to lie down there, but he also knows where to make you lie down. Only God, God and God alone, knows the spiritual location of the place of rest for you. And if I assume that I know where I should rest, I might make an error of judgment. I might think I know exactly, exactly the places of peace. But if you have ever camped outside on a national park or in a wilderness somewhere in a tent... You know there are dangers on the outside. There are dangers in the wilderness. There are bears. There are predators. There are bugs. There are ticks, bless God. There are things I just don't want to deal with in my life. And so I might assume that I know exactly, exactly where I should bed down and where I should rest. But I must accept in the condition of restoration that only God appoints my rest. He knows where the green pasture are and he can bring you there he makes me lie down in green pastures verse 2 he leads me beside the still waters fourth condition he leads me beside the still waters so 
The third condition was about rest. And the fourth condition is about forward movement and motion. Those two are connected concepts. My rest and my progress. My stoppages and my forward movements. He leads me. There's an old time hymn song that goes, He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Have you heard that old time hymn before in your life? God leads you. God is in control. But here it is describing that he pronounces your forward motion. I don't know if any of you have ever had a serious season of depression. But if you ever do, and if you ever see somebody who does, this becomes their difficulty. They lock in. They don't want to get out of bed. They don't want to move. Someone doesn't even want to attempt to, to go about their day. And so God speaks this word over anybody who has been at a low moment in your life. For anybody who has struggled with this mentality of sadness or depression, that God will lead you in forward progress again. You will not be a permanent stationary statue. God will make you walk again. He will appoint your motion. He will bring you forward once more. You will not stay there and die. You'll go on your journeyings again. When that pillar of cloud began to move in the book of Exodus, it was time to move. And for somebody here in Norwalk, California, it's time to move. It's time to build again. It's time to walk again. It's time to worship again. It's time to pray again. It is time to work for God again. Now I look this up. How many of you ever heard the phrase, still waters run deep? Have you heard that phrase, still waters run deep? Okay, but do you know why still waters run deep? I'm going to give some physics to you, okay? When the waters of a river are all pressed into a small space, those shallow waters in a small space must contain the full force of the current of that river, and what you get is rapids. Rapids are shallow water because it is shallow and the full force of the current flow is all pressed into that low depth of water. But when you have deep water, there is more water volume to contain the river current force. The force of that current of the river is now spread out over a deeper depth of water. And what you get are still waters. Not only does God ordain your forward motion, the second blessing and the good news here is that you are led beside the deep things of God. This season of restoration is also your season of revelation. The deep things of God are on their way to you today. I'm going to have revelation in my restoration. I'm going to go deeper in God. And now my favorite part. After these four conditions, after I accept within my heart that God is in control, that He will provide in spite of how this looks. When I accept that God appoints my rest and God appoints my forward motion, in those four conditions, verse 3, He now restores my soul. It is not accomplished by the hands of man. 
It is done by God. God restores my soul. Say it. God restores my soul. I believe that. I want us all to accept that. I won't find restoration at the bottom of a bottle. I won't find restoration in false counselor voices. I won't find restoration by popular wisdom. God and God alone is the source of my restoration. I looked up this word restoration. There's actually two words for restoration in Hebrew. In Joel 2.25, it's a different word. In Joel 2.25, the prophet Joel said, And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. That word restore is salam, the verb form of the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. A restoration of peace is described in Joel chapter 2. And that is also available by God. God will command peace to you. He is the peace speaker. He is the prince of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Right? Peace is part of who he is this morning. And a restoration of peace is here for you. But there is also a second kind of restoration. In Psalm 23, the word restore is shub in Hebrew. And that word for restoration here, shub in Hebrew, is best rendered to mean the following. To be brought back to where you were. It could even mean that you're brought back to where you started. Now, I've heard this. I confess I have heard this as a minister. Who all has heard somebody say this? I can't go back to where I was. Anybody ever been told that by somebody in your life? Well, God says, yes, you can. He can bring you back to where you started. He can bring you back to where you were because God restoreth my soul. God can accomplish it. God can make it happen. God can do it. If you watch those Olympic marathon race runners, when all those Olympic marathon race runners are about to begin their races, they all start out at the starting line position. And they all are excited. They are preparing their body and preparing themselves to run that race. But every so often, you see that one of them gets themselves disqualified somehow. They run the wrong track. They run the wrong direction. Maybe they just fall over, bless God. But they get themselves running in the wrong way. And they did not accomplish their race. If you feel like one of those race runners this morning who ran the wrong route, ran the wrong direction, or bless God, perhaps you just fell over, God can bring you back to where you were. You can come back to where you began, back to the starting line position, and you can run again. You can begin the race for God again. You are not disqualified. You are qualified by God. You are restored. You are repaired. And you are redeemed by the Lord. Jehovah God restores your soul. Say my soul. It begins internal, doesn't it? It goes from the inside out. Seven blessings of restoration proceed out of this. There were four conditions of restoration, and there are seven blessings of restoration. First blessing is right here in this verse. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The first blessing of restoration is God has a brand new path for you. 
And not just one path either. It says paths, plural. That plural is there in the Hebrew. Has anyone ever heard somebody in the world say, oh, you Christians, if you live like a Christian, you have to live confined. Your options will be less, will decrease. Have you ever been told by your friends that because you're living for God that you can't do what they can do? God flips that on its head and he says, no, not only do your paths increase, God multiplies your paths here after you are saved. I know that we walk and live in a narrow way in the Gospels, and that's Bible, and that is in the Word, and that's true. But this scripture is also giving you a secret detail of restoration. Your options will not diminish after restoration. They will multiply. You'll have new doors that were never available to you before because you are now led by the shepherd and he knows unknown paths. He knows secret routes. He knows things this world cannot tell you. God can do that for you. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, the name was also important even back then. What is that name? Jesus. For the sake of his name, he leads you in new paths. Four, verse number four. Second blessing. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, See, every other statement before here was God makes me lie down in green pastures. God leads me beside still waters. God restores my soul. God leads you in the paths of righteousness. But now in verse 4, it just says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice and note, it never says that God led you there. I'm human. I have made some decisions in my past life that were dumb, that I regret, that I wish I had not made. And it wasn't anybody else's fault but Joel. Sometimes Joel has made a bad decision in many years ago in his life. But all the same, the wonder and the miracle of restoration is that even when I have made a bad choice in years gone by, when I have gotten myself into a valley of the shadow of death that God never led me into, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Even in my mistakes, he does not leave me. Even in my mess-ups, he's there. He has his rod and he has his staff. The staff is for leading the sheep and the rod is for beating back the wolves. He still has his weapons of war and he still has his staff of leadership. Even when I'm not perfect, even when I have gotten myself into a mistake, God will still be there with you. That's the word of God. I'll have comfort in my crazy. I'll have warmth when nothing makes sense. God will still be there with you. Verse 5. Third blessing of restoration. Thou, God, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this point 
is not original to myself. I did hear a preacher on the World Wide Web make this point, but it's so good I got to tell you about this. So I heard a preacher describe how many of us make the wrong prayer. We pray like King David for God to kill our enemies, and we want to be there to see it, don't we? David prayed that. He prayed that in the Psalms. But sometimes it's not the season for that prayer. And sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to kill your enemies. I'm leaving them alive. Why? Because I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. If God killed them, your enemies would never see you eat. And the scripture never said that they would have food or that they would eat. It says that God prepares the table before you in the presence of your enemies. And the opinions of your enemies will not veto the provision of Jehovah in your life. You're going to eat in spite of what they think about you. You're going to eat in spite of what they say about you. You're going to have food on your table no matter what they are trying to do against you because God prepares a table before you. Now in this room I believe are many people who know exactly how to prepare and to set a dinner table. But part of the difficult acceptance of restoration is that now I will not set the table. Now I will not prepare the table. I believe that God shall provide in my enemy's presence. Uh, perhaps for some of us, the hard part might be thus, that we will not prepare the table ourselves, that God will be the one who prepares the table. You won't even have to set the salad forks out, bless God. God will do all that for you. He will make the table. He will set the instrument out God shall prepare the table of provision for you now in this season of your life fourth blessing of restoration thou anointest my head with oil I know ministers who have messed up I know people who had callings on their lives and after their mistakes the same sentence is always said. They will say to us and to anybody around them, I've lost it. I've lost my anointing. But the good news is after restoration, God reanoints you. He gives you a fresh anointing. Even if you think you lost it, God gives it back to you. Thou anointest my head with oil. God will give you a fresh dose of Holy Ghost. A new anointing is coming upon you from God. Psalm 133, the psalmist wrote, Oh, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil, the precious ointment that was poured upon the head of Aaron. It ran down his face, down his beard, down his robe, down to the bottom of his garments. I think they poured the whole bottle on him. That's what God is saying to somebody here at Apostolic Lighthouse. He will pour so much oil, it'll be running off your robes. He'll give you so much anointing, you won't know what to do with it. That's the oil that God has for you. That's my Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Fifth blessing of restoration. My cup runneth over. Verse 5 in Psalm 23. When I was a little boy in elementary school, there was a magical place all of us elementary school kids loved to go. It was called Pizza Hut. Have you heard of it? Pizza Hut, we love to go there because that Pizza Hut in Memphis, Tennessee had a soda fountain, a drink fountain. Now, a six-year-old boy owns very little in his life. But when they gave us that cup, six-year-old Joel owned one very important thing. I owned that cup. And most of us elementary school kids, we go to that drink fountain and we put the soda under every single dispenser there. We make what you call a suicide drink. Anybody do that when you're like five or six years old? You put the cup under the Pepsi and the Diet Pepsi and the Mountain Dew and the root beer and the sweet tea and everything there. And you make this conglomeration drink. And by the time that six-year-old Joel and any other student there was done with that fountain, guess what? That cup was a running over. Well, the good news is like when I was a child and did that, that we nowadays are also children. We are the children of God. And in like manner, God has given you a cup. And when God is done pouring into your life, your cup will not be able to hold the outpourings of the supernatural power of God. Your cup will run over. Sixth blessing now. Surely, say surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now hang on here just a Holy Ghost minute. Because it didn't say now I will follow goodness and mercy. It said goodness and mercy will follow me. That means you won't have to get out your digging tools and dig for it. That means you won't have to tie ropes around mercy to pull mercy along with you. Now God commands mercy to follow you. Wherever you go, mercy goes. Wherever you go, the goodness of God goes with you. It is a heavenly edict from the ruler of all creation that now mercy and now the goodness of the Lord will follow you how long all the days of your life you're gonna have the blessings of heaven you'll have the goodness of God and the mercy of the Lord seventh blessing finally and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever my restoration is complete when I come back to the house of God. My restoration is complete when I become a permanent resident of the house of the Lord. I'm not going out anymore. I'm not going to find solutions or attempt to find weird answers out there somewhere. I'm going to stay. The bad shepherd gets a case of Levitis, but the restored soul gets a case of Stayitis. You're going to be here permanently. You're no longer going to roam or wander. God's going to give you mercy 
and goodness. You'll hear the anointed word of the Lord. You'll receive peace again. You'll receive joy again. And the place where all of those things are given to you is the mercy house, the peace house, and the joy house that we call the house of of God. I'll dwell in safety and I won't have to worry about the wolves outside because I am protected by my great protector above. I am in the house of God. Stand with me. There are 23 pairs of chromosomes in human DNA. 23 pairs of chromosomes in human DNA. They tell us in science that DNA gives you your identity. And so if DNA chromosomes number in 23, I imagine that where there is a psalm at chapter 23, there's something about our identity and something also about God's identity for us. You were made in the image of God, weren't you? He formed you with his hands and breathed into you the breath of life. God made you a living soul. Part of your identity is in this 23rd Psalm. It is part also of His identity to restore you. This is who God wants you to be. He wants you to be led by Him in paths of righteousness. He wants you not to fear even when you do flub or mess up. He wants you to know that His rod and His staff will comfort you. He is our comforter, isn't he? He sets a table for you, and your enemies can't do a thing about it. He wants you to know this life is the life he always wanted you to have. And for a few of us, maybe we strayed and lost the true way. But this morning, you can get this back. It can begin today. You can make a fresh start. So all around the room, these altars are open. And I am inviting you to come here at Apostolic Lighthouse and join me up front in the altar, if you please. What an incredible message. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast, and may God bless you.